This is a Wall Observatory podcast. Hello and welcome to Star Stuff. I am Cody Half Moon, and I'm joined today by our co-host John Compton. Hey, pals! And a very special guest. He is a uh, renowned educator and author, national popularizer of astronomy, and expert in observational astronomy, Dean Regas. Hi, Dean. Hi. How are y'all doing? We are great. Thank you for yeah. joining us. Oh, my um, pleasure. This is great. Yeah, we're here in person recording today in Clyde Tomball's apartment where Dean's staying tonight for a lecture. Oh, man. I mean, this is amazing. I mean, so he was like living here and chilling and nope. playing ping pong, apparently. That's right. Yeah. Living his best uh, life. And had an espresso machine, apparently, that's down the yes, hall. I yes. mean, this, this is really decked out. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. People don't know uh, what kind of red carpet treatment he got. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm going to stay a while if that's okay. Yeah. Is that okay? Sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and if... Um, uh, and an unpaid guest today is the wind uh, that likes to sound really spoopy up here in the Slifer building. So uh, keep an ear out for howling winds behind us in lovely Flagstaff Mountain Town. So you are a, um, a seasoned... Uh, radio guest. Uh, it says here that you are a frequent guest on Science Friday and here and now on NPR, and you host an astronomy podcast called Looking Up, which we know well about here. Um, so yeah, this is really this is really fun. Thanks for being a guest, first of all. And can you uh, tell us a little bit about the other programs that you participate in? Yeah, so uh, the podcast is called Yeah Looking Up has been going on for a few years, and we interview guests like scientists and astronauts and authors, uh, and usually just talk about what's in the news. So latest discoveries, things that people are really talking about, really excited about, and throw in a couple of popular uh, popular cultural references also. So uh, it keeps me uh, up to date on some cultural references which uh astronomers are sorely lacking in yeah. in our uh in our uh, knowledge of that kind of stuff say less mm-hmm. say less <laughs> yeah and looking up is a great podcast i personally have listened to a lot of the episodes and whenever we tell people about star stuff it's um the first podcast i can usually think of if they're looking for astronomy podcasts and you know usually it's like if you're looking for more like news and things that are uh current uh, in astronomy than looking up is a really good podcast to add to your playlist. So it's really exciting to have you here. Oh, thanks so much. And Science Friday and Here and Now on NPR. Yeah, so uh, I started uh, kind of contributing to Science Friday, boy, I don't know what year it was that I did some pitch, some cold pitch to them about a story. I said, you know, we have a, oh, I think it was the transit of Venus. I said, you know, we have the Venus is going in front of the sun. It'll be the last time we'll be visible for over 100 years. Um, I think, you know, it'd be something to talk about. And somehow, I think I, like, emailed Ira Flato at something, hmm. something.com or and, and uh, his, his people got back to me and said, yeah, it would, yeah, it'd be great to talk about this. And uh, so I think when I get on these shows, I think that the, the producers and things have a, an, an impression of what I'm going to be like, you know, a, a, mm-hmm. an astronomer, uh, you know, what, what an astronomer on radio sounds like. And I think I think I scared Ira on the first one with, with my enthusiasm. Uh, I was awesome. like, Ira, this is not going to happen for another 105 years. Like, you, you have to see it. He's like, oh, well, I'll see. I was like, no, you have to see it. You have to see it, Ira. And uh, was so not ready for the enthusiasm he, he, of an astronomer. He was not. I mean, generally, the people on Science Friday are kind of, uh, you know, they they're they're uh, soft spoken and everything. But uh, um, and I, I afterwards, and I get this a lot when people. Um, uh, at the end of the interview, when the microphones are off, they say, uh, uh, wow, I, uh, I wasn't expecting that. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I'm going to say good thing. Um, and I think it was, uh, here and now that they said, um, afterwards they said, wow, I, uh, you sounded more like a, like a game show host. And I was like, I'll take that as a compliment too. There's a, there's a term that I'm doing my best to coin, um, after just researching a lot of 
observatories in the West and getting to know our astronomers. And I'm calling it cowboy astronomy because I really feel like that's a, a big vibe where it's just these like guys I'm thinking of right now, Gerard Van Bell, who's always in his leather jacket or like the stories we hear of um, some of the astronomers at Lowell. It's it's very uh, they're very ex excitable and passionate. And, you know, you'd want to go have a beer with them after mm -hmm. work kind of vibe versus like a in the lab scientist. Yeah, we're an eccentric bunch. Very, also, yeah. Number so one, many characters. It's, it's the late nights or something like that. It's <laughs> the being caffeinated, whatever it is. Um, but I think I think you really hit upon something is that astronomers are really passionate about what they do. Um, I mean, you don't want to ask them this, but they would probably do this job for free. Yeah. That's the thing. Don't don't suggest yeah. that. And nobody out there ever suggests that. Please keep paying us astronomers. You suggest it. Uh, yeah, we didn't we say, didn't say it. But I, I think there there's this this enthusiasm with it and amateur astronomers too. The, mm -hmm. There's a fine line now between amateur and professional astronomers. Mm -hmm. There's mm -hmm. amazing stuff that amateurs are, are doing now. And I think it's a, it's one field where the two really interact well, and there's a mutual respect between the two. Um, and it, it's it's like nothing else. When I when I go to other observatories, I just yeah feel so welcome and oh, yeah. you know part of the 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 club. And uh, it's yeah it's an amazing group. Yeah, and I guess just a shout out to Clyde Tomball, who when he discovered Pluto was would have been considered today an amateur astronomer. I mean, he of course went on to get incredible degrees and do a lot for the, you know, the field of astronomy, but, um, when he discovered Pluto, yeah. Yeah. Just amateur astronomer is a passionate farm boy. Research assistant. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think his, his story is one of the, yeah, it's really part of the Pluto legend too. Mm. It's part of the, the yeah. And, it's so uh, American of a story too. And I think that's mm -hmm. what resonates yeah. with people too, is that this is uh, this guy that may may not have been the most trained, the most uh, educated with that, but he, I still don't get how he did it. Like, I mean, I know, <laughs> I know what the, the process was, but how many pictures he mm -hmm. had to take, how many times he had to look for this and not see it. And, um, Boy, I, I it's it's just and then the pictures that I see his discovery plates where yeah. he discovered Pluto, I'm like, yeah, I, I guess it's that dot there. That I mean, little like, thing, that, I know. How did he pick out that little dot? And they uh, have to have these big arrows on display to show mm -hmm. like this thing is the one that moves. By the way, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and the the idea that we didn't find any other Plutoid. If, until 1992 so mm -hmm. 1930 1992 nobody found any other ones mm -hmm. i mean that's pretty incredible i love the name plutoid plutoid can yeah. we call those little fans plutoids now we got asteroids let's get plutoids we got some plutoids it's, it's a growing it's a growing uh term so we're, we're, we'll keep it going growing term for a growing planet uh, <laughs> growing to term for a <laughs> Far away world, mm -hmm. yes. Yes, the most the most controversial little boy in the solar system. Speaking of. Speaking of. <laughs> oh no, here's the part. Here it I'm, is. I'm not looking forward to. Oh no, I'm so excited for it. Um, so Dean is the author of a book that we're promoting today. We are going to put a link to, um, I think, maybe probably Amazon's the easiest place, um, or if there's a place you'd prefer people buy it, uh, in our Discord. So tell us about your book. What's the name of your book? Uh, so my new book is called How to Teach Grownups About Pluto, and it is a kid's book, but really sneaky for adults, too. Uh, and it's an illustrated guide for kids to help walk their grownups through the tragedy and the five stages of grief of losing a planet and hopefully right. move them to acceptance <laughs> that Pluto's not a planet. Clyde's talking in the background. I know, you hear the wind. I know. I am, I'm going to be haunted tonight <laughs> in this apartment. Sleep well, Dean. Sleep well. <laughs> and I will say nothing bad about Pluto itself. Pluto is an awesome, awesome world. Yeah. Um, but what I found was that there was this generational disconnect, like... Uh, you know, when the topic of Pluto comes up, kids are just like, yeah, all right, it's not a planet. All right, you know, it's fine, whatever. But anybody over a certain age then is like, big feelings. oh, super big feelings. And <laughs> so I don't know how many times after a talk that I would give on any other topic, random topic, 
um, you know, let's say I'm going to talk about galaxies. Or I'm talking about Saturn. At the end of the talk, uh, an adult will come up and say, yeah, but Pluto's still a planet. Oh I'm like, I didn't talk about that at all. <laughs> no one's but, talking about Pluto, man. Yeah. And even worse, <laughs> and even worse when a kid would come up to me like that, that's super excited about space. Like they're just like, they're in their space stage. They're learning everything about it. They're absorbing everything. And they're telling me about all oh, this really cool stuff. They're finding about black holes. And then their parent would come up and be like, yeah, but Pluto's still a planet. Yeah. And I'm like, you're, what, that's yeah, rude, that's number one. <laughs> number two, we weren't talking to you. And number yeah. three, that's not part of what we're talking about. And so I felt bad for the kids that they have to like do this, that they have to go through this with their, their grown up. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to give them some, some fuel, some, uh, and, and a fun way, uh, to, to talk about the history of Pluto, to talk about other Plutoids and what all is out there and what we've gained less than, than what we've lost. You know, John has some big feelings about Pluto as a planet and I want to hear them. Really? Yeah, let's go for it. Yeah, I just don't, I, I, I feel like it's not a planet. <gasps> um, Blasphemy. I, I, I feel like uh, rigorous naming conventions are important in science and that's what it is now. And if we don't like the name, we should work harder to change the name. Uh, but I don't think Pluto cares. It's just Pluto a, doesn't care. It's a nitrogen little frost ball out there doing mm -hmm. its thing. Little space doesn't potato. care what we call it. I have, so many, I have so many Pluto t-shirts that I have in my mind. And yeah, Pluto don't care is the number one <laughs> t-shirt that I think should be made. I always wanted a shirt made with Pluto and, um, you know, like the little heart-shaped Pluto thing. And it's like got a little frowny face and it's crying and all these people are comforting it. And then Ceres and Pallas are in the windows behind it, like looking in like. <laughs> what about me? Oh, what about exactly. me? <laughs> they were kicked out. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So in the book, I do go through the history of the planet Demotion. Like Pluto's not the first planet to be kicked out. I mean, it's uh, so all the asteroids were kicked out in the 1850s. Um, Earth was not considered a planet for a long time. Uh, I mean, it's the center of the universe, obviously. That's right. The moon was a planet. It got mm -hmm. kicked out. And so, you know, things things change. And, and that's the part of the thing is the process of science really uh, moves forward. And so I'm so glad to hear you describe it in the exact way that I would like to. It's mm -hmm. There is this nostalgia with Pluto that, you know, it was the planet that, you know, when we were kids, it was the oddball planet. And what I think I figured out is that grownups have, you know, they haven't taken astronomy since they were little kids. And the one thing they can remember is the order of the planets. The mm -hmm. teachers taught them that saying, my very educated mother Mothers just served, served us up. nine pizzas. Yep. And they love pizzas. Who doesn't love Who pizzas? Doesn't love a pizza? And now yeah. pizza's out of there and they can't, uh, they're, they're mad. So <laughs> they, they hate nachos. So no, they hate nachos. I think, um, so I was just at Griffith Observatory and um, I love that place. I can't say enough about it. It was a wonderful experience. Everyone there was lovely. And they have uh, an incredible Pluto exhibit. They have an exhibit with all of the planets. And then the last one, it says Pluto and others. And you'll be able to learn about all the Kuiper Belt objects in that um, presentation. And I thought that was like a good way to get people curious about those other objects because Pluto isn't the only one hanging out there. And, uh, and yeah, and, and here at Lowell, I guess for the record, um, you know, we do not call it a planet. People will ask and we say no. And here are the three, I think there are three things that go into being a planet. And this is the one that uh, disqualifies it um, about the orbit. So which we've covered on this podcast before. But. but it is fun to throw a little fuss about it, you know? It's fun. It's kind of like, what else do you do all day? Yeah, and we like to tease on on social media. So mm -hmm. sometimes we're like, our icy little, our favorite icy little planet. Um, and, you know, like with a little asterisk, and it's like, dwarf planet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, stuff like, I mean, it's fun. It, it's, people have a, a fun time with Pluto. I feel like um, it at least got a lot of people talking about space that wouldn't have talked about space before. It's controversial it's pluto also just the picture that they happened to get going by it was fantastic on the new horizons mission with the heart um in the story with clyde tomball's ashes going past i mean all that's just really cool so yeah and i i think it is it's one of those subjects where yeah people have opinions about it and they might not necessarily be 
you know, in facts and that kind of thing. But what I did, and I, I think the kind, I think the discussion is great. I think the debate is great. I personally didn't think Pluto should have been kicked out initially. And I had to be won over. And I, I got won over by this logical argument of like, this has happened before. This is, this is what makes Pluto so unique compared to the other. It's not anything like the eight other things. It's not. No. Um, and so, so I was oh, thinking, he's getting I, was, mad. I was thinking, yeah, when I first came out with this book, I thought I am never going to be invited to Lowell no. ever again. <laughs> and, um, but I think it's the, the, the controversy. I think it's good. I think it's like, uh, mm -hmm. I think it's fun to do it. And I will admit that being here, you're being too accommodating to me. I wish you were a little more antagonistic. Oh, because because I, I I do relish trying being the bad guy. Oh, so, okay. we can okay, we'll change so, our tune. I can flip. Yeah. Yeah. Um, flip so flooring. dolphins definitely fish. They're in the water. They got fins. <laughs> yeah, cereal definitely a gum uh, a soup. Yep. Yep. Gazpacho, right? Let's well, get controversial. Boy, I can't argue with either one of those. So uh, that's that's tough. Yeah, our um, a lot of our planetary scientists here, they're, they're of course, very scientific, a bunch of nerds. We love them. Uh, if you ask them, they will say, like, well, I think that Pluto is a planet because it's a planetary object that we study. So is a moon around Saturn. It's a planetary object that we study. And um, as a planetary scientist, I find the definition a little bit silly. Uh, earlier, Dean, you and I were talking about that, the one particular thing where based on the definition, no planet outside of our, the, the eight in our solar system are planets. Um, but I think at this point, it's been it's 2006, right? Since this happened, mm -hmm. they're just kind of like, yeah, yeah, it's stupid, whatever. <laughs> like it doesn't affect their research. It doesn't affect what they're researching. It doesn't change what Pluto is. You know, a lot of people get confused and think Pluto's just not there anymore. I mean, we get all kinds mm -hmm. of questions. Uh, Pluto is still there. Pluto hasn't changed. He doesn't even know humans exist, really doesn't care. Hasn't even, we haven't even seen a full orbit of Pluto living his best life out there. So. Yeah. It, it's, um, I mean, I think that is, it is really crazy the amount of attention that it gets too. Uh, and, and the idea of yeah, planethood is, is I, I, we were talking earlier is like, I mean, I'll be honest, the definition isn't that good. I mean, it's not good. It, it, I mean, some English majors were needed in that room. Yeah. And they, uh, you know, astronomers are great, but writing is not necessarily their, their best things. Um, but the, the, whole, the whole controversy of it was if Pluto kept being a planet, this is, this is the, the, the crux of it for me, is if Pluto was kept as a planet, that opens the door for... 2000 other objects in the solar system to be planets. Mm -hmm. And th there's got to be a differentiation between those 2000. There's, there's a big difference between those 2000 things. I heard an interesting argument for keeping it a planet because of just what you've laid out. And, um, I don't really have a passionate top. I've got, I was an English major. I'm just here for the fun of it. Um, so the argument was, is that by, uh, it was, so yes, they, they wanted it to be a more precise definition so that it wasn't confusing when there are now thousands of planets in our solar system. Um, and one argument that I heard was that it was creating, uh, it was putting too many limitations on science. So it was actually making our word world smaller versus saying how many planets are in our solar system could open up a kid's mind just how big and how much is out there. And their argument was, you know, we didn't stop the, the table of um, elements, for example, at eight, because that would have been easier. Um, so I thought that was an interesting, again, I have, I really don't care either way, but I thought that was interesting. Yeah, um, I haven't thought of it that way, you know, compared to the periodic table. It, it would be though, as if, I mean, the the eight are so different that's the thing yeah mm -hmm. and Definitely. so but i think what's been the big shame is that pluto gets so much attention that we lose all that other stuff mm -hmm. and so i think it, that's the only drawback is that i think that uh in that discussion we're missing out on how cool sedna is for mm -hmm. example this object very far and sedna gets no press whatsoever because 
should have picked a better name. But uh, <laughs> it'd be more or some kind of Disney character. They should have named it after the god of the underworld. He would have gotten a lot right, more exactly. Uh, but then you got Eris, you got Maki Maki, you got all these yep. other ones that are kind of lost in the shuffle. Uh, but I think that's always going to be the case is that there's only so much knowledge that the average person, the average non-astronomer. And I, I, in my book, I kind of say like to the kids, I'm like, I understand like you're studying this. You're like immersed in astronomy right now. Your adults have been doing non-astronomy things for a while. I know it's hard to understand what that means, but you only have so much that you can do. And so the planets always get all the attention. Um, and I, I think to some extent that's warranted because the planets are these really dynamic places that are really incredible, but we are losing a little bit on like mm -hmm. moons yeah, and yeah, yeah. the latest asteroid discoveries. I mean, mm -hmm. we're up to 700,000 plus asteroids have been discovered. Yep. Um, so as long as this can be an entree, an entryway that people can take this into the next level, that's what I'm all about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I always think of it as you've got your rocky planets, your gas giants, and the Kuiper Belt objects is sort of how I've put it in my mind. Am I missing one? Looking Rock, gas, and ice. Rock, yeah, gas, and ice. Yeah, you break it up that way, throw in the asteroids as maybe another section. Right, but, yeah. Um, yeah. Which 30,000 were discovered here at Lowell, too. It's a big, we love our asteroids here. We love talking about it. We do a lot of research on it now with some of our teams. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's so awesome. I mean, and that's, that's super important because all these asteroids have been finding have been because they're looking for ones heading towards us. Yes. And thankfully none of those 700,000 are heading towards us. Right. So, Planetary defense going but, strong. But yeah, keeping that going, that's, that's such an important, uh, important thing for civilization really. Yeah. We've got, um, asteroid day that we're celebrating here with meteor crater, uh, for it's the B612 foundation and Brian may to, raise awareness about asteroids and near-Earth objects. And we have a lot of really cool studies here with Dr. Maskovitz and his team using the LDT to Well, and having Meteor Crater right next oh, yeah. door here is such a cool tie-in. I think that's, I mean, it's, it's an impressive place, that yeah. is for sure. Um, and to, to see uh, the best-preserved example of something that really devastated this part of the world. It's, uh, it, it's definitely a good reminder and, uh, uh, it's chilling. It's a little scary. Um, but, uh, really, really cool. Yeah. Perfect for rock nerds. So let's switch topics because that's not your only book. This, uh, this controversial Pluto book. We have a book called Facts About Space. And John, I might let you talk about this one because it's about volcanoes in space and you're our rock nerd. Oh, cool. um, so first of all, volcanoes in space. That's a that thing. Io, all that stuff. Io, what's Io? Io, um, it's like a little moon that's basically all volcanoes. It's yellow, it's pretty. What's, what's your favorite... Um, uh, volcanic body out there. Ooh. If you had to pick. Uh, Io is pretty good. That's for sure. I mean, it's like Io, all volcanoes. It's oops, all volcanoes. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it is. And it's crazy because, you know, we haven't had really good close-up pictures of it since um, the Galileo spacecraft mm -hmm. out there. Juno's around there, another spacecraft, but it hasn't, it, the, it hasn't been, that's not its main mission. So we don't know what Io looks like today. I mean, it could have turned itself inside out a lot yeah. in that time. Oh, really? So Io's up there, but I'm going to put it number two. Okay. Um, and I got to say Enceladus is number one. So this is a mm. little tiny moon of Saturn that, um, uh, that we thought something was going on with this moon, mm -hmm. but it, uh, when we flew by with the Cassini spacecraft, we get these really close up pictures and it's got geysers that are yeah. shooting off. So they call them cryo volcanoes mm -hmm. when it's not shooting off lava, it's shooting off ices. And so the cryo volcanoes shoot off into space. And since the gravity is so weak on Enceladus, it goes into space. Mm -hmm. So uh, when we analyze what this material is coming out and it turns out to be a lot of H2O. Yeah. So this has got actual water mm -hmm. on this moon 
that's not frozen solid. So there's a heat source going on that's doing this. But the topper is, as this moon goes around Saturn, that stuff is shot out into space, those geysers out of space. And it leaves that as it goes around Saturn and leaves this tracing of an orbit. And so Enceladus has created its own ring it's around new Saturn. Ring. That's so cool. Yeah. That's got to be number one. I'll, I'll clap for it. I'll clap for it. <laughs> so is it, and it's it's basically tidal heating, or is that's, it that's uh, like a radioactive thought. Yeah, that's thought it's, it's tidal heating. I What's mean, it's that? Uh, that is when it, a moon is so close to its planet, its parent planet, and other moons that... The, the tidal forces pull on it. So it's it's like on Earth, it pulls the tides, the water, the ocean goes in and out. That on on bigger objects or on uh, rocky objects, then it actually makes heat. Mm. And so that's what's happened with Io. Io is being stretched back and forth and back and forth, and that heat translates and comes right out. So um, uh, with Enceladus, it's enough to make those, uh, uh, that, that water just, it's ice form spurts out. I, I was so I looked up a picture of it, and the first thing I saw is it's like this little planet, it's got a little like looks like jetpack symbols on the bottom. Yeah, um, yeah, really cool looking. Yeah, and that's the 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 close up pictures that the, that the Cassini spacecraft got are just incredible. I mean, yeah, yeah. you see the jets, and it's it's. Um, you see the jets, really? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's there's ones. That's the famous one up below. Yeah, there's they have these the four big stripes on the planet, and so these cracks on the icy surface, things are coming through those cracks, and they basically heal themselves as they freeze over those cracks, at least. Yeah, and so there's certain <laughs> times of the year, uh, certain times in the Saturn year that one side of Enceladus is facing the sun too, um, and so I think it was we saw the southern hemisphere eruptions and I don't know if there's uh we haven't well I haven't watched long enough to get to the northern hemisphere yet. Ingredients for life found on Saturn's moon. Is that, yeah. is that a clickbait title? Just to say, man, it's all balmy waters oh, down it, there. It, it what is kind in of our mermaids? contract. We have to ask about aliens for every guest. So mm. here's your chance. Well, uh, uh, so that is clickbait. Absolutely. <laughs> positively. Yeah. The Scientific American is uh, clickbait. What? They're trying. That's for sure. I mean, and it's nothing new. I mean, if they're talking about Titan, I assume is what they're talking about. Or are they talking about Enceladus? Talking about Enceladus in the jets. Really? Like wow. Uh, it's in right. the, yeah, the okay. Saturn's moon in Satellis. Yeah. All right, I thought you were talking about Titan because uh, we already knew about that. Yeah. But y'all, Titan could be this. Okay, so I'm gonna put air quotes. Uh, Titan could be this like early Earth, like with these the prim primordial elements there, and uh, like yeah, except for it's 200 below zero and mm -hmm. there's no liquid water. It's liquid methane, and other than that, it's. Yeah, yeah, pretty much the same. Ingredients but for life. Ingredients you know, heat, for life. Water. <laughs> yeah, ingredients for life. But the stuff that comes from outer space. <laughs> and and uh, I guess what else do they put? They put it in. Um, uh, I forget what those elements that they always throw in there. But anyway. What is okay? I'm looking at the picture. Okay. I thought there was something on the screen. It's a spacecraft. Mm -hmm. Human uh, spacecraft. I mean, like that. Yeah. Look, that's the radar dish. That's like the little antennas. That's part of a solar array. In front of Enceladus? Yeah, it's that okay, picture so of the Okay, so that's an artist rendering. Oh, yeah, that's totally made up. Yeah. <laughs> so That's supposed to be Cassini, I think. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's made up. Yeah, yeah, oh, okay. Yeah. Man, I'm so easily Is that fooled. a NASA website, though? Because they, they might be... Scientific American. Yeah. Oh, that's Scientific American. Yeah. Say. yeah. So, you know, I like rocks. So far, none of these rocky volcanoes... Um, what are your thoughts on like Olympus Mons? Olympus Mons is pretty sweet. That's for sure. I mean, it's the you know, biggest volcano on Mars, largest volcano in the solar system, although not the highest. Mm -hmm. A new champion has emerged relatively recently on an asteroid. Um, and I can't remember the name of that mountain, but anyway, you might know. But uh, anyway, uh, but Olympus Mons by sheer girth and volume is just yeah, massive. I mean, big old shield volcano. Yeah. So it's like the Hawaiian islands, except for jumbo sized. I mean, it's so it's, where uh, is this? This is on Mars. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, Olympus Mons. And so it's, it's about three times taller than Mount Everest and would cover the whole state of Arizona. Mm -hmm. It's like 12 miles high. Something like that. Yeah. It's something along those, um, those lines. So, so far the out, so far, so high that technically it would be like in space, you know, yeah. and but 
the because it's a shield volcano, it like it's quite wide compared to its height, which means it wouldn't be a terrible hike, you know, to like hike into outer space. It would take you a long time to do it, but it's not like a steep grade. You would never you wouldn't have to scramble, you know, you just like walk up to outer space. Just it's, it's awesome. Sounds like a pointy planet. Like it it's just kind of well, it's like really, it's really short and quite wide. The, ah. ma- the mountains or the volcano itself, yeah. which is so why you'd be like, be like oh, a little tiny little slope, yeah, yeah, like uh, maybe walking from Phoenix to Flagstaff up a you know two percent grade, something yeah. like that. That's not bad. Yeah, yeah. a little grade. Just take your time. I could do that. Take yeah. your time. Drink water. You'll make it. <laughs> and by the way, uh, Olympus Mons would be my wrestler name if I was a uh, professional wrestler. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Should be your artist name. You should just start signing all your books. Olympus Mons. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You haven't signed my copy of your Pluto book, have you? I, I not yet. Oh, I now will. you know how to sign it. Oh, Olympus right, Mons. Right. That's right. What's the big? What's the big canyon? I remember this now. Oh, uh, Valis Marineris. Yeah. Would that be like your your signature move? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be the cl- the finishing mm-hmm. the finishing move. Your version of the people's elbow. Just that's, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Valis Marineris. Oh, he's out. <laughs> Cracked. That's right. Right down the middle. <laughs> so what it facts about space, you talk about volcanoes in space. Uh what else do you talk about in this book? Well, uh before we go further. Um, which book is this? <laughs> uh, how many books have you written, man? Uh, well, if it's the National Geographic one, that'd be the sixth. And so that one's out in December, but I, but I also wrote one called facts from space. So I was just making sure Let's which see. book you're asking about facts from space or facts about space. Facts from space from yeah. super secret. That one, that one from super secret spacecraft to Volcanoes in outer space, extraterrestrial facts to blow your mind. Wow, 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 wow. Wow, 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 wow. It's got a, wow, it's got a really high rating on Amazon. Excellent. Congratulations. Thanks, thanks. Yeah, so facts from space with an exclamation point at the end gotcha. just for effect. Uh, that was my first book, uh, and it was uh, basically you could Poor flip. Like, uh, oh. I know, yeah. Uh, yeah, so you, so you can flip to any page, learn a new fact every day. It's kind of broken down by section. There's planets, there's um the asteroids there's the moon that kind of stuff and then galaxies space travel uh, and so yeah you can you know learn a new fact every day and um there's a, a section at the end called deep fat deep deep thoughts about space where hmm. we talk about the you know the potential existence of aliens the multiverse all that kind of stuff it's kind of fun so uh so yeah, that one that one's a uh, that was my first book, and I remember talking to somebody. So I was at the observatory, I was giving a program, and uh, this I had that book was on sale, and the one of the people there were like, "Oh yeah, we got that book for your dad, remember?" And they're like, "Oh yeah," and they didn't know I was the author, so they're just so I can get their Aww. honest feedback. Oh, that's cool. And so uh, the one was like uh, saying, "Well, you know." I, you know, your dad, you always read and your dad's always reading that. And it's like, yeah, you know, when he's on the toilet and stuff like that. And he's always reading that. <laughs> I'm just standing there right there as they're, you know, uh-huh. and, and I'm like, I'm the author of that book. And they're like, Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. I didn't mean to like, oh, a, no. I was like, no, no, no. I know it's a toilet book. No, I, I wrote it on the toilet. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I totally know that's what it's about. Um, uh, but you can read it. I, I call too. it a coffee table book. If it, I know, Cause it's I, easy to pick up, digest a few things and you know, while you're, Exactly. Waiting for your guests. Okay. Exactly. Definitely digesting fun. rather than. I love the photo on the back. It's it's such a cute. You look like a uh, Doctor Who. Yeah. Doesn't he look like Doctor Who in that yeah. picture? It's very nerdy. It's great. Oh, good. Good. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. Ten, ten out of ten. Yeah, Pluto's planetary status is more of a wibbly wobbly planetary wibbly <laughs> So, uh, I, (laughs) there are some notes here in our, in our outline. Um, when I was introducing you, uh, I uh, called you a national popularizer of astronomy. Uh, and this is something that at Lowell, we take an interest in because Percival Lowell, uh, got a lot of newspapers talking when he was doing some controversial 
research uh, seeking Martians, coining the term Martian, inspiring Orson Welles, War of the Worlds. Um, a lot of cool stories there that just got astronomy and kind of the first clickbait astronomy paper probably of our modern-ish times. Uh, so how do you feel about that title, the, the National Popularizer of Astronomy? I like that a lot. I mean, I think that's uh, what I try to do is to see what my audiences are mostly interested in. So if they are really fascinated about black holes, then let's give them more black holes. Let's, mm -hmm. let's talk more about this stuff. And I think that is really, you know, kind of important as to be able to communicate correctly too. And you may well, and, and I picture myself as kind of an inspirer. I, I, I throw out things to get people thinking about stuff, but not only that, but things that they can go out and see and experience themselves. So being an observational astronomer, I'm, I'm super into getting people excited about eclipses, uh, about seeing meteor showers, about seeing the planets when they're up in the sky. So I, I try to make the sky as accessible as possible and get people to use their, just their eyes to get out and see some stuff. And, um, yeah, we've got these two solar eclipses coming up in 2023, 2024, and these are going to be some awesome experiences to get people motivated. Um, and yeah, back to back eclipses, 2024 is getting all the press, but let's don't sleep on October 14th, 2023. Cause that's going to be pretty good. That'll be yeah. our dress rehearsal <laughs> right? Yeah. Right, yeah. and, uh, get going I've for heard those. It called that too. Yeah. yeah. So I think, I think that idea is really good, but there's also this, this fine line you have to walk with it too. And because there's some popularization of, of stuff of astronomy that I'm not as excited about. And I'm talking things like string theory and parallel universes and multiverse. You weren't a fan of interstellar. I take it. I loved interstellar okay. until he's behind that bookcase for some reason. I don't yeah. know. What's he doing behind the bookcase? It was really weird. That it makes was no weird. sense. Not, you can't push anything out of a bookcase oh. in a black hole. Forget it. My, um, the school I did my, I had my, I got my bachelor's from was a big string theory school. What's and, uh, string theory? A, a fad from the nineties. Yeah, it, it's that everything around here is made of vibrating strings. Yeah. And excuse me? It, yeah, yeah. It was, it was popular. People liked it. Yeah. And you get into it and you like, they describe, oh, this is how this could be. This is how this could be. This is how the whole, this answers all the questions of the, the, all the forces and all this stuff. And then you get to the part where it's like, okay, so what, what evidence you got on this? And they're like, None. Because it'd be cool. It'd be yeah. cool, man. So if once we discover the 11 dimensions, then we can show mm -hmm. you. I'm like. But but some of those dimensions are like wrapped up in other ones. And then they're like around you, like pixels on a screen. So like when you pass through that pixel, you cycle into uh -huh. like six of them or something like that. Is this, and a Hubbard? Is this you another out? Hubbard fantasy? No, this is, this is straight up string theory. Okay. Yeah. So the newest All one right. is uh, multiverse and, you know, we're seeing this in some movies now come about. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I got to iterate the multiverse has zero evidence behind it. You don't think zero. there are multiple universes? Of course I think there's layered. multiple universes, but we have zero evidence behind it. And so I love to think about this. Right? It would be great right. if there's a universe with unicorns and stuff like that. Maybe there's another universe, but we have no evidence. And so this is purely science fiction. It's purely, I want there to believe right, right. that there's multiple universes. I want to believe. I definitely do. And so, but th this is the, the trap that certain astronomers fall into is that they find a topic that's popular but has no scientific right. basis and to be clear which is also not what theoretic theoretical astronomy is oh well right? so uh okay so now you brought up the one big rift in the astronomy community oh yeah i'm so and glad let's have it so there is a rift between the observational astronomers and the theoretical astronomers yep. i am firmly an observational astronomer you gotta show me show me the mm -hmm. stuff Mm -hmm. for me to believe in it. Um, and so the theoreticals think we are just so 19th century and uh -huh. we're just, so uh -huh. oh, you know, and you know, maybe we are, maybe I do like that kind of stuff. That's so what, maybe I do like steampunk telescopes. That it's fun. Old, that it's are fun. old Lowell observatories at Cincinnati Observatory. Maybe I do like that stuff, yeah. but, um, so there is definitely a rift and we, we have good natured ribbing about it nice. where they are like, Oh yeah. Um, 
you know, it's usually about dark matter and that kind of stuff. It's like, oh, they have this dark matter theories. I'm like, yeah, well, uh, when we see it in the telescope, let yep. me know and uh, yep. we'll, we'll get this figured Which out. It's just something we're trying to do, trying to measure, isn't it? We're trying to measure, is it dark energy or dark? I get I'm confused. Mm-hmm. It's kind you of You mean the pain. dark web? <laughs> yes. The, so, um, I'm look it up while you. I feel like it's similar, like in at least in geology and like geophysics, there's this real rift where, uh, you know, I'm on the geophysics side and I'm like, yeah, look, we can see like this fault goes down and it goes into there, like, dig me a hole and prove it. And it's like, <laughs> I feel like that's the observational versus the theoretical side sometimes. It's like, it just feels like it comes down to like, I don't know, show it to me. And it's like, well, I can't, man. It's really far away. Yeah, you can't show the core of the earth. You we know what just, I mean? We can yeah. assume from, but there's evidence to yeah. lead us to that. And uh, so, yeah, I, I just, I love the multiverse conversations because it, they they start off seemingly scientific. Like mm-hmm. they're like, you know, they the interviewers are seriously interviewing a serious astronomer. And then about 30 minutes in, then they get to the question like, so can we ever prove this? And they're always like, Nah, nah. It's like, so what'd you talk about for so? <laughs> so my comeback to people that think the multiverse exists is that sure, maybe there's infinite number of universes mm-hmm. and maybe there's a universe out there with a version of you listening to a version of me, but in that universe, you're interested. Yeah. <laughs> So what's on the other side of the universe bubble, right? Oh man, this is this is the this is where we get some deep stuff. Yes, yeah. baby, let's hear now, it. I'm not a cosmologist because again, it's in the theoretical range. So I'm only going to retell what other people are telling me. Um, but there's two ways to think of this. Okay. And we're not sure. Is the universe infinite? That means there is no end, and so you go in any direction forever. Impossible. Okay. Next. Uh, so, or is it <laughs> quickly dismissed or is it finite that there is an edge? And if there is an edge, then there would be something outside of that. So we don't know what one is accurate, accurate. Um, I'm of the, the opinion without again, any evidence. So, right. this, oh, so I'm in the multiverse uh, area here uh-huh. uh, is that the universe is infinite, that it goes on forever, that there is no ending because what? I can't picture anything different i can't picture our universe sitting somewhere on a shelf with mm-hmm. another one nearby no, it's the why, marbles thing like why, in- why can't you go from that one to the other one why is there a distance and so when we uh, the the part i like to think about is you know you see these maps they make of the universe and there's this definite edges to them so mm-hmm. some of them are they'd make them as big globes and some of them they'd make them long ovals um even though those maps are not true. Yeah. That's- because when we're looking in space, we're looking back in time. And so when we're looking at the farthest galaxies, they're not even there. Yeah. They've moved. And so the whole thing is hard to wrap your brain around. And so cosmologists are the deepest thinkers. And I can have one drink with them. After that, we go down these wormholes, yeah. and it's 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 over. It's fun. What else you can do all day? <laughs> That's you know? right. Uh, yeah, like there's the edge of the known universe, so it's as far as we can see before just time hadn't existed yet. Uh, and you can't what go, does can't that go... mean? Well, like you know, um, when you look at a star, it's however many light years away, so light from it has taken that long to get to your eyeballs um, to see it. So you're seeing a version of it in the past, based on how long it took light to get here. So the farther out you look, the farther back in time you're looking because the photons just haven't, you know, gotten to you yet. And so at some point, there just w- wasn't the universe yet. So you can't look beyond that. And they call that the edge of the known universe. Oh just the light, the light from one second, one light second further hasn't reached us yet. And then in one second, it will. You know what I mean? So like every day we can see one light day further. Right. But... um it's like that's the edge of the known universe, not the edge of the universe. We don't we don't know anything about that. We don't know if it's finite, infinite. We don't know if there's all kinds of stuff. Um, you just gave the end of my talk tonight at the little observatory. That's, that's, that's the end of my tour of the universe talk of explaining what the edge of the Spoilers. universe is. Whoops, a doodle. Yeah. <laughs> By the time this will have aired, so, you'll have wowed everyone. What do you think about like the um, you know? Because I I know some of the popular. Hey, this is about multiverse. Um, 
not much about it though. What are your thoughts on like that cold spot in the uh, CMB being like a collision with a parallel universe thing? I need so idea. many definitions real quick. Okay, so co- CMB cosmic microwave background radiation. Basically, it's the farthest things that we can detect, the farthest energy we can detect. So it's that's that. Whenever you see that, it's usually in these weird colors, like red, orange, mm-hmm. yellow. They're actually showing heat. It's like green and orange is like the really yeah. And so that's the farthest stuff we can detect in the yeah, microwave uh, wavelength. So yeah, there's it's not evenly distributed. So. It's, but then there's these weird little anomalies. So I, there's a couple ways that I can look at that. And, and, uh, I would, I would put, so if that hole is a parallel universe busting through the, the answer for that is in the same realm as the guy on the history channel saying aliens did everything. No. I, I <laughs> it's think, always aliens. Yeah. I, think, I don't case, think it's supposed to have busted through. I think it's supposed to have been like, they touched at some oh, point. Oh, they touched. That's but we can't the... get there. It just they just like little smoochy. Parallel universe. Yeah. What? It's like um a, another another universe. Just little little smooch. Another universe. That's that's but what that's a lot a of people theory. say. Yeah, it's a theory about. It. Yeah, and maybe aliens did it too. But, uh, yeah, but I I would say there's lots of other uh, uh, possibilities. First of all, I, I I as an observational astronomer, I I don't put complete accuracy to the things we're seeing really far away yeah the farther away something is the less accurate our measurements are Mm -hmm. and so when we can say certain distance certain things are certain distances there is a little wiggle room uh so when we're looking at stuff that's really far away there's a couple different avenues of evidence we use to and I think that, you know, the age of the universe being 13.8 billion years, there's so many other things, not just observational, but so many other things that, that go to that. But if we can say galaxy X is 10 billion light years away, I don't have a lot of faith in that being 90% true. I think that, I think that there's a wiggle room on distance as farther you go. You must be excited for the James Webb then. I am, although that might not answer it either, but it will give us some a little bit better perspective on on that. But um, it is it's one of those things that we have these certain expectations of how things are. We we observe things close by to us, and we assume that things farther away are going to be similar. But I don't think that's good logic. I, I think it's assuming an awful lot. Um, so when we get to this the cosmology, it's it's it's. Uh, open to a lot of interpretations. Um, I mean, I, I, I've been working at a, a 19th century observatory. We have some old books. Cincinnati Observatory. At the Cincinnati yep. Observatory. Uh, and we uh, look at how the changes in the books, they say how far away a star is. Like we, every 10 years we have a new survey and then the star is recalibrated how far it actually was. And, you know, they were always wrong in the past and we're always right in the future. And this right. is perfect. We got it. We nailed <laughs> yeah, it down. We got it. And then the next one comes out like, oh, OK, it's a little bit farther. Whoops a doodle. Yeah. Um, uh, and so like uh, the Andromeda galaxy is a good example. It went from one million light years to one point five million light years to two to two point five to two point nine and then back to two point five. Just moving all over the place, right? Wow, no, it's it's got to be right. Yes, it's not us. It's it, right? Yeah. So now, so the the thought that uh, and and, uh, and I would say astronomers more than other scientific fields or other fields in general are not tied to that thing. They mm-hmm. they want it to be improved upon. So they're not going to be like, well, dang it, I saw it was one million light years away, and that's how it's going to be. They're like, oh, mm-hmm. you got a better thing. All right, cool. Yeah, I'll accept perfect. that. I'll take that. Sounds great. Let's get beers. It's almost, <laughs> yeah, it's almost like that's how science works. Yeah. 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 We exactly. Oh. We are, we are a very malleable bunch and we also don't, we don't take things so, so personally too. Like, yeah. you know, if yeah, somebody, you know. if somebody, like if I discovered uh, a mountain on Mars and then somebody says, oh yeah, well, this is not a mountain it's a valley. And I go, all right, well, you're, you're no, right. Okay. I mean, and I'll be like, well, wait, maybe I should look again. It'll be a mountain this time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, yeah, we don't take it too personally, I yeah. don't think.
Well, before we run out of time, I would love to take advantage of your science communication skills. And uh, could you give a go at defining space-time and time in space? This is something that I have really been wanting to describe on the podcast, so I'm just asking um, a lot of guests to give their best go at it. Oof, this is going to be rough. Because it's something so, that I still don't get, and people have described it to me. And, you know, I don't know if you could tell, the more we got into that conversation, I just got quieter and my eyes got wider. Just like, this is a lot to take in. But Well, get ready for more of that. All right, here um, we go. Now, no, I am not, I am nowhere near the best person to talk about this. Like, this is not my field of expertise. Right, right. I am only retelling what's been told to me, mm-hmm. and I don't get it. Yeah. So, uh, now, the only experience I've had in doing this is I've had to, I was uh, requested to define space time to William Shatner once. <laughs> okay. Why? Wait well, so William Shatner was on a book tour for some book that he wrote about something. He's written a lot of books. Yeah. And um, so he, we had him on the, on our podcast and uh, was interviewing him. And then he got onto the space time things. Like I don't get space time. I want people to say it. And I was like, uh, you know, I mean, I tried to describe it to him and he's like, man, I wasn't impressed by that. I was like, all right, well, <laughs> all right. And then he said, Sorry, so then he said, you know what? Okay. When I'm in Cincinnati, we're gonna have you come up on stage and we'll have a discussion about it. I'm like, there we go. okay, sure. Sounds good. <laughs> um, so <laughs> he starts it off. We get on stage, uh, he's on stage. He's, uh, we're actually, I think he was filming or showing the wrath of Khan to a live audience and then going up answering questions. And then he brings me up to talk about space time. And, uh, what I learned, actually, this is a pretty good analogy for what space time is, is that you cannot share the stage with William Shatner. It is impossible. No. I, I stood on the stage and before I knew it, I was on the back of the stage and he was standing in front of me mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I didn't get to explain what space oh, time no. was whatsoever. And, um, that was it. Yep. Sounds that's, great. That's what space time is. Night with William Shatner. Bill Shatner at front stage. Yep. Done. That's, that's pretty much what it is. <laughs> I can't think of anything better. I, he was so flattered. I think when I met him because uh, it was, I was young. I was like 22, 20, I don't know. I was in my early twenties and, um, I started to cry because I was overwhelmed. I was so excited. I'm a huge Star Trek fan, more of a Leonard Nimoy fan uh, no offense, Bill, but, um, yeah. And he was so excited. He was so excited. Someone was crying over him. So no, he is uh, in, in meeting him. He is the ultimate actor the ultimate performer he just loves to perform he, he is, is yeah he that you can just tell that's like he that was his calling in yeah. life um and uh yeah i've yeah met him i've i interviewed um um george decay also who is yeah. really great um uh, and that's somebody i could share the stage with he you know yeah. we took turns so that was that's good yeah. uh, but um, have you ever talked to Nimoy? no i never did <sighs> unfortunately um and, um, but I, I think that one, you know, one, I know the, the one extra thing I'd say about William Shatner is that when he went to space, mm-hmm. like, you know, he went up, mm-hmm. well, I'll do, recently. I'll do quote unquote space. He went up the 65 miles up, up and then back. Um, he was so moved. I mean, yeah. And I, you know, the part of me is like, well, all right, he was acting. He was acting. I don't think, I don't think, I think he that, was I think this is one time. Maybe he wasn't acting in his yeah. life. And, uh, and it's, uh, it was, must've been an incredible experience. And, uh, so I, I, as you know, people are saying, Oh, well, would you go? Or they say, what do you think about billionaires in space? I'm like, well, I don't know. I mean, it's fine for them. I, it seems like it'd be great if we could do something for everybody. And then, then of course, on the other hand, they said, well, if they invited you to go, would you do it? I'm like, yeah, of course I'd go. Duh. I mean, of course I'd do it. I wouldn't. Yeah. Oh, you wouldn't? No. no. Why not? No way. Uh, space sounds horrible. It's your, you're up and back in 15 minutes. It's yeah. nothing. What about Mars? No, I wouldn't do that. No? <laughs> no way. Oh, I'd well, go straight there. No, I'd eat so could, many snacks. You couldn't pay me enough to go into space. Well, I, I'm... Happy where my uh, species evolved. Thank you very yeah. much. My perspective on space travel did, it does fluctuate. That's true. Like there's certain times in my life where I'd be like, yeah, I'd totally do a Mars trip. Um, I think when 
COVID started. I liken COVID to a little bit of, to a Mars mission in a mm, lot of ways. Yeah. That the isolation with that. And I thought, you know, well, if I could do this, I could do a Mars thing for 26 months. Yeah, sure. Um, but Spaceships then, just look so sterile. Like, Oh, they're not. They're they're disgusting. Yeah. yeah. They smell really bad. I, I, I mean, they smell really bad. I guess I mean the, like, aesthetics of it. I'm very much a person that will, like, my mood depends on my atmosphere and just, like, the metal hard edges and the, um, I don't know, maybe I'm just thinking about movies too much, but it's just like, how do people live in these metal boxes? They just don't seem... Wow, that's that's interesting. I would have never even thought about that. But um, just sounds depressing. There's a lot of psychological things with space travel. I'm super fascinated by I, I, I love talking to astronauts because just I try to get psychological insights about them. Like, how do they get so driven and successful and superhuman? But uh, I think that, um, yeah, to live in that there's you got to be so mentally tough. Yeah. And um I don't know. That's that beyond the physical part about it, uh, and the zero G Mm-mm. toilets. Uh uh-uh. uh. No uh, thanks. I don't know. Put up a salt salt lamp, you know. <laughs> yeah. Hang a Burks and Dunn poster. That's right. Done. Some magic cards. We'll call it a day. That's right. Know? All right. Then you talked her into it. Pull me up. You know. Sign sign you up. We'll have to get you up here for our iHeart Pluto Festival. That have you heard of this? Oh yeah yeah. Every year. Yeah. To get you up here for that. You sure I'm allowed with this, oh this latest book? Of course. I'm, I'm with you. you know, yeah, uh, we'll, let's, we'll, yeah, let's let's bring all that. You know what? The more controversy Pluto gets, the more his his name is spoken. Yeah, that's true. And it's great. It's yeah, great he, press. So thanks. <laughs> can, yeah, put me on the stage. I'll be the villain. I'll bring a twirly mustache. Oh, amazing. And I'll oh, that's right. We weren't voice. mean to you yet on the podcast. What's that? Uh, oh, we, yeah. we haven't been mean to you yet. That's no, so you guys have been too nice Mars. about this Pluto. I'm very disappointed. <laughs> I was expecting. What a jerk. <laughs> Listen to this podcast. We interview Arg. this jerk. He's so mean. <laughs> well, I did. I like because I've done a lot of you know interviews like this for yeah, past sure. books and everything like that and my first interviews about the the pluto book did not go well because oh, really? the, the interviewer was really anti they were they were really against me like oh. and i'm going into this thinking like okay let's just be like the other ones and they're like all right so what's this all right come on i mean come on Pluto's a planet you're ridiculous oh my gosh, like, come on, guys. well here's the things like, oh i don't want to hear about that and i was, I was like oh my god you know gosh, you've made man. it when you pissed off an interview this was the hardest yeah. interview i ever had now you're officially a celebrity yeah, I guess so. I guess so. So you all, this is this is. Yeah, I was expecting a lot worse. Oh, I, really? I firmly believe Pluto is not a planet. I mean, uh, it literally isn't. Naming, it, naming it, conventions are important in science. We have to stick with them. At me in the comments. It's a dwarf planet, so that yeah. you know, if anyone's like blah blah blah, it's like yeah, it's a dwarf planet. Nope. There Plu- you go. Remember, Plutoid. That's a plutoid, plutoid. That's what we're going with. Yeah, plutoid. it's a Plutoid. Planetesimal. Yes. Wait, so. If Sorry, frozen stuff out there is is Plutoids like um, Eris, Haumea, Makimaki, all that kind of stuff. What uh, what do you call things like? Um, what what name would you upgrade the big asteroids in the main belt to? Nothing asteroids. Nothing. Nope. nope. They stay nope. asteroids. I don't what? like you anymore. Which ones are they? Which ones are to make to that elite class? At least of series. At least series and palace. He loves series I and palace. He talks Vesta? about them all what about the time. Vesta? Call him Vesta's Vesta's cool too. What about Juno? Juno's awesome. Yeah, we're we're we're, we're good with Juno. Well, so where do you where do you draw the line? Well, where do you draw the line with with Plutoids? What? Like They're you, all Plutoids. Yeah, okay, those fine. are all asteroids. Cirrusoids. Yeah. Cirrusoids. Oh, I see what you're going for. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Are um, they slightly different from any other asteroid? What would gain them a just, different name? They're just rocky and main belty. <laughs> main belty. Yeah, as opposed to like the icy nitrogeny ones out there in the Kuiper. Yeah, I, I mean, that's, I feel like they need a cool name too. I mean, if you want to get me really outraged, yes, we do. Lump and series in as a dwarf planet. Come on. Yeah. That was ridiculous. What does Ceres and Pluto have in common? Nothing. They don't need anything in common. They, well, they're, they're friends. They're, they're both round. cold. They're, That's yeah, what they have. They they're come, they're sort round. of round, barely yeah. built. Uh, what so. the heck is this on? This is a weird blue eye on Ceres. Oh, yeah. It's from like, it's got a weird filter on it. Oh, does it? Yeah, I think that's more. Oh. Yeah, I, I love the roundness. It's a volcano. 
argument about planets too, because I, I, you know, I firmly thought about that too. I was like, well, yeah, round. Okay. Roundness seems to make sense. And I was talking to this one planetary astronomer. He's like, roundness, who cares about roundness? Mm -hmm. Just because it's round. What if it's accidentally round? What if it has to be big enough to be round? What's roundness and planets have to do with it? Aren't Uh, most things in space round? Yeah. If they're big enough. Just to be fair. Yeah. And so what does that do? I don't know. Maybe the roundness, we'd throw that out and and stick with like, I don't know, hydrostatic equilibrium or something. That's what they wanted to say too. (laughs) And uh, yeah, that was, that was the thing. And um, man, the, the definitions that came out before was, that's what really did it. And I mean, it was the, the, the 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 what was a planet before they demoted Pluto? The the recommended thing was there should be twelve planets in the solar system. And so they're at Prague in this meeting, and these other astronomers are like, "Yeah, we're gonna have twelve planets: Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Ceres, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, Eris, and Pluto's moon Charon." Hmm. exactly the moon was for those on the podcast the two of them just looked at me as if i said something strange as if you are a crazy person they propose sharon should be a planet because it doesn't go around pluto they're a double planet and each Mm -hmm. one should be their own planet like a binary a double planet individually a planet so they're not just a double planet they're individually and so when the astronomers in prague heard that proposal that was what kicked pluto out because Mm. it was so bad were they not planetary scientists making these decisions somewhere in that committee but uh they did not they did not read the room and so i i there's a there's some debate as to if that proposal was not made pluto might still be a planet because they wouldn't have been so mad yeah (laughs) and i'm looking at a picture so pluto for context smaller than the earth's moon Sharon, obviously, much, mm-hmm. much smaller than Pluto. Ceres, smaller than Sharon. Mm-hmm. Vesta, smaller than Ceres. And Eros on this diagram is a speck. Oh, yeah, that asteroid Eros, yep, yep. And they wanted this to be a planet. No, no, no Eris. 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 Eris, okay. E-R-I-S. I was like, there's no way that they were going to call this thing a planet. Yeah. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. Yeah, and I... Eris, here we go. That's, that's the other thing, is there's so many little oh, Eris is anecdotes pretty. about the other Plutoids. Um, well, since I have you guys here. Um, one of the my main uh, antagonists in my book uh, is Mike Brown. He's an astronomer mm. from Caltech mm-hmm. that discovered Eris and Makimaki and Sedna and all that. Um, and what I also find is that People that are Pluto defenders are a lot less, have a lot less sense of humor. They're hmm. very, they're not very humorous. Uh, and Mike Brown is the opposite. He was so uh, like funny about this, that he discovers Eris. Eris rightly could have been a planet. He could have been the discoverer of a planet. He could be the Clyde Tombaugh of our time. He did not think it should be a planet and uh, lobbied against it. But he wanted it to be named Xena, X-E-N-A, mm. as in Xena, the warrior princess. Mm-hmm. Fun. Um, yeah. Starts with the letter X, planet X, 10th planet. Mm-hmm. Um, then he dropped that idea. Um, and I was like, did you ever hear from uh, Lucy Lawless? <laughs> and he said, I did. What? Yes. My wife. What did she say? I know. Well, so he, when all this era stuff came out that he was getting all these bombarded by calls and things like that, she called, left him a message. He never called her back. (gasps) Can you believe it? Left her on red. Ridiculous. What? (laughs) Yes. Did he say why? He thought it was a joke. And then he eventually heard it was real. And, uh, yeah, so, uh, missed out. And he didn't ever try to call her after that? I think they tried to communicate, but I don't know if it worked out. Oh, my God. Ghost well, I was going to say, yeah, uh, Mike Brown, come on our podcast, because that would be fun. Mike is great. He, I, yeah, we interviewed him, and that's where I got that story about that. And Yeah. Well, I'd love to have him on the podcast. We follow him on Twitter. I mean, We'd also love to have, you know, any... Cool actors or actresses. Or like, like Zena. Maybe Lucy Lawless. Like Lucy Lawless. Right. So there's one more ch- connection with Lucy Lawless. So Eris has a moon. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. And its moon's name is Dysnomia. Yes. Mike Brown named that also. Okay. Dysnomia was the goddess of lawlessness. <gasps> ah, God, don't tell me. Astronomers so have no cool. sense of humor whatsoever. Oh, I love it. I love that. That's good. Well, Mike, if you're listening, I doubt he is. Please come on our podcast. We would... We'd give you the red carpet service. Do it, like Mike. I said, we follow him on Twitter. He's great. He's, no, do it, Mike. They're funny. fun. They'll, they'll bring you over to Lowell, too, and then you can hang out here. I mean, you got a croissant. I got a yep. croissant. I'm going to be haunted by Claude, Clyde Tombaugh's ghost tonight. Yes, yep. definitely. This is going to be, this is going to be quite... <laughs> totally. So, is this the thing? Is If I survive the night, do I get to own the place? You is get that a second the, croissant. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Second yeah. croissant. In the morning? <laughs> That's good. Yeah, I'll get you a blueberry one this okay. time. Yeah, yeah. So um, just as a send off, I would like to, um, can you tell us the name of your book again, where people can find it and what book you have coming up next? And um, again, where we can find your podcast looking up. Okay. Um, Actually, that part we can't talk about. Oh, there's going to be some new stuff, about that I don't know it yet. So we can't say that. So if I could skip that part. You heard it here first. New stuff. (laughs) There's news on the podcast, but I can't talk about it yet. Okay. I, mostly because I don't know what it is. Oh. <laughs> it's so, theoretical. Got it's it. The, it's theoretical <laughs> no evidence to back it up. Yeah, that's right. I would like to know the name of the book that okay. we have right now that you're going to sign for me. Yes. So I've got uh, my latest book is How to Teach Grownups About Pluto, available wherever you get your books. It is a great read with lots of great illustrations. We also illustrate all the planets, the dwarf planets. And they're great illustrations. There's an illustration of the Clark Telescope here at Lowell. That's right. And of Mr. Tomball looking at the blink comparator, I think is what he's doing. Exactly. Um, And Eris is in there with an eye patch looking very uh, (laughs) cool. Um, So yeah, wherever you get your books, look for that. Uh, My other books include Facts from Space and 100 Things. Exclamation point. A hundred things to see in the night sky that tells you how to find stars and constellations in the night sky. And uh, then I have a book coming out in uh, December called Facts About Space uh, through National Geographic. So looking forward to that coming out, too. Fantastic. Awesome. And you will be on a video that we're producing in partnership with the Grand Canyon Conservancy about um, uh, accessing the night sky on your own. And um, giving a talk here at Lowell, which of course, by the time this has been posted, that talk will have come and gone. But um, we are honored to have you here at Lowell. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us on Star Stuff, a space hottity. (laughs) Nice. I like it. Yes. So anyway, thank you so much for your time. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, a shout out to the Spoopy Wind for giving us an Mm -hmm. atmosphere Mm -hmm. on this episode. Oh yeah, definitely good atmosphere. (laughs) This podcast was made possible by our members and donors. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support our nonprofit in making more digital education like this available, go to lowell.edu slash donate. Thanks for listening.